Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. The Extra Point Show with Sal Capaccio on WGR Sports Radio 550. I mean, this is like a Halloween topic, but are you into scary movies, Josh? You into scary movies? Eh, not really. I don't know. It's just not my... Thing. What's scary though to you? Like, what's a scary movie? Is I, it more? I watched The Conjuring Two, I Blood and Guts, was. or I watched The Conjuring Two, and it was on Halloween night back in high school because like that came out like in I don't know like 2016, 2017, and right. I not not gonna lie here. I couldn't sleep. It was it freaked me out. Like we watched it on Halloween mm-hmm. night, me and a bunch of my friends. In, like, yep. someone's garage, like, in the dark, and, like, that person's sister was, like, outside, like, trying to scare us and stuff. And it, it just wasn't a good combination. So, I don't know. I've never been a big scary movie fan. It kind of depends on um, what the movie is, though. Like, some of them I can handle if it's not as believable. But, like, if it's, like, super realistic or, like, super, like, jump scares get me. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's suspenseful. The best thing to say, but, like, jump yeah, jump scares, scares that's right, yeah. Mm, yeah, me too, but more like I mean, the suspense part of it. So last night, I have not watched like a good scary movie in a while. And last night, I just wasn't that tired. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to go to bed yet. Kind of just hanging out. And knock at the cabin door came up on my uh, smart TV because I was just kind of bumping around. You ever well, seen that? that? Yeah, you know that, that came is? out like in the last year, right? That's with um, David Batista. I think. Um, yes, it is. And it came out, yeah, maybe maybe the last year. Within the last couple of years, probably, um, it was, yeah, 2023, you're right. Knock at the cabin. Knock at the cabin, not knock at the cabin door. Uh, and it's M. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan. Right. N- M. Night Shyamalan, I think is how you say his name. That's more of like a suspense one, right? Where it's just kind of like you don't know what's going to happen. Yes. Right? See, those ones are kind of fun. That's exactly right. Yeah, they are. It's also, he did um, the Alien movie when the um, Alien came down. What uh, movie was that? That was with... Um, uh, what do you, uh, Phoenix, uh, Joaquin Phoenix? What was that night? That movie he made? Was that? And I can't think of the darn contact? name of the movie now. No, not First Contact. Uh, uh, Signs, Signs, Signs. Yeah, he did that one. It's kind of like that, where yeah, it's kind of weird, and 
It's like a little bit out there. So I don't know. I, I don't mind his movies at all. The point is, watch it last night. It was not like scary, scary, but it was suspenseful and I'm, it was kind of freaking crazy. And then I was wondering, am I going to sleep okay? And I, I, I was a little restless last night, but it wasn't because of that. So could you not sleep after you watched that movie you said, The Conjuring? Yeah, no. I, I, it, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's it's just got a bunch of jump scares in it. And it's, yeah. know, it's just creepy. Like it's, it's not even like realistic creepy. It's like, unless, I mean, unless you believe in like ghosts and all that stuff. But like, I just, I don't know. It was just too many jump scares for me. But like for the most part, I've I've been able to like say like, okay, like this isn't real. Like, you know, it's just a movie. But back in the day, like it was just a, a real problem for me if I watched a scary movie. Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm do I'm okay today after watching it, but just figured I'd, you know, I, it's, it's not something I've watched in a while. And maybe I'll watch more of them. Maybe I'll also watch some more scary movies, but it was more suspenseful. Than it was scary. But if you get a chance to watch it anyway, the point is, um, it wasn't bad. I didn't mind it. Might not be for everybody. Knock at the uh, cabin last night was the movie tonight. I, there could be a scary movie joke in here. I don't want to make one. All right. But I am planning on going to the Sabres game tonight with my family. So, uh, and you know, the way they've played, you could say, yeah, it's been scary watching the Sabres. I get it. But, um, I, it's just, it's tough. It's tough to go. It's tough to watch. It was one of those deals where, Hey, we got tickets. Like you want to go, uh, you know, I can give the tickets to somebody. No, we're going to go. And we enjoy going. And you know, my son's 10, he loves going to games. And of course he wants them to win. No doubt about that. But you know, what's funny is he, and that's what it is. Uh, I read an article, I think it was Mike Harrington who wrote in the Buffalo News last week in his column, and I think I think is what he wrote, basically, and I apologize if I don't get this right. But I, I think what he wrote was something along the lines of, here's this homestand. You want to go see Sam Reinhart? Like, hey, totally, right? You want to go see this team? They're really good. Why would you want to go see the LA Kings, necessarily? And the reason I would give is because they might be able to beat them. But I don't know. They did beat them last time they were they played. They were out in L.A. and they beat them. But that's why I would want to go watch them. But I would tell you, because my son says to me, whenever we say, I say, hey, we got tickets for a Sabres game coming up. They're playing you know, Tuesday night or playing Saturday. One of the first things he says to me is, who are they playing? And then when I tell him, he says, are they good? Yeah, Kings aren't bad. Um, they're better than the Sabres, record-wise. 24, 15, and 10. That's actually really good. So 24 and 25 overall, where the Sabres are 22 and 29 overall, 22, 25, and 4. Um, if you put it in that context, the Sabres are a little bit closer, but that's why I would go. And it's still a, it's still something for, you know, I, I want him to go. I want him to win. I want him to win for him. I want him to score goals. That hasn't been happening lately. Now you got to win power out. It's just been this lost season, right? I mean, it's just so frustrating watching this team and this season, I should say, overall. And what I can't figure out or understand is how they're going to play this trade deadline with all the reports that are coming out that they want to get better. They're not getting better to make the playoffs, right? I mean, that's not going to happen. I don't know how you're making up. What is it, Josh? Are they 12 points out? I got to look at the stand. Are they 12 points out now yeah, 12 of points. a playoff spot? 60 and 48 are the Red Wings and, and Sabres difference, I believe. Is that correct? I think that's the difference between the points. Um, they're 12 points out of a playoff spot. You got Elliot Friedman reporting and other people reporting how the Sabres are, you know, trying to get better now. They want to make their team better now. Now, I think that in context, the word now means get better now, but it really means to be better to get the ground running next year, next season. 
But what do you do to how do you do that when at the trade deadline the guys that are usually traded to make a team better now are the guys on expiring contracts that teams get to get better in the playoffs and have for the playoffs, like for a playoff run. That's usually a trade for getting better now. The teams like the Sabres generally are the sellers of those team of those guys at the trade deadline. They wind up getting picks back. But here's this team that has Jeremy called it this way. I love the term prospect fatigue. Yes, I mean what I'm done with prospects. I've been done with prospects for three, four years, maybe longer, considering this is working on a thirteen year playoff drought, by the way. I've been I've been done with prospects. I don't need prospects. I don't need picks. They have picks. They have. They're going to pick high again this year, unless they trade it away, obviously. But I mean, right now they're in a position to be in the lottery and pick high. And there's there's Kulik down in Rochester, and there's Savoy, and there's Rosine, and name your guy. I mean, there's and Devin Levi up and down. Right? There's prospects all over the place. There's prospects on this team. J.J. Paterka is no longer a prospect necessarily. You could use that term, but, I mean, he's a good player. He's young. You got Jack Quinn. Now he's injured, obviously. But I, these are these are guys, this is a young team. Still with young talent, I think. But the problem is, you if, if you're going to make a trade to make yourself better now, I don't know how you do that at a trade deadline. Those are basically summer trades. Those are draft trades. It's going to be very interesting. And then there's the Casey Middlestat problem do we call it a problem i don't even know he's not a problem he's been really good he's i still i think he's still the team's leading scorer i don't have the stats in front of me you have the casey middlestat problem which is he's going to be an rfa and there's talk that they want they they might move him i mean you move casey middlestat you better get a nice haul but what team is i guess i, I here's how it would have to play out to me this is the only way i could envision if you move casey middlestat you need to get some good things in return. And I'm not talking picks and prospects anymore. I'm talking good players. But the only way you kind of do it now is to probably do it with another team that's not in the playoffs. Because what team is in the playoffs, or at least thinks they're going to make a run in the playoffs? There could be a team that's, you know, sitting there and like, yeah, you know, we're not going to do much this year. There's been teams that sold when you didn't think they'd sell at the deadline. But what team is going to give you good players who are on actual contracts with term on it right now? instead of keeping them for their own playoff run, knowing that they still have them next year. That's the issue. They've kind of put themselves, well, of course they put themselves in this situation. But I just don't know how you go about it. And that's going to be Kevin Adams' task. If you believe all of those things that you hear and read, and I have every reason to believe what Elliot Friedman has reported, I believe... Uh, I think Andrew Peters said something on their podcast with Peters and Reve, and you know, even talking about goalies, looking for a goalie, looking for a goalie. I mean, I I thought they were they, they I thought they thought they were pretty set at that position for a while, even if it's not necessarily going the way they thought immediately for Devin Levi. As Joe always points out, it's perfectly normal for his development, and you know the way it's happening for him. So I yeah, I don't know how they do it. I just know it's it's frustrating and. I fear, I fear we're going to get to the trade deadline and whatever they do, it's going to be, well, why did you do that now? (laughs) Like what, aside from the coaching point of should you move, move on from Don Granado at this point, nobody's coming in here now to get this team to go 
I don't know how many, 24 and 10, 20 and 10, whatever it is you need to get to, something like that, I, that's not going to happen. It'd be the, one of the most incredible runs at the end of a season we've ever seen. And there's nothing to suggest that's going to happen right now. So you, you have to put yourself in the mindset of, okay, they're not going to make the playoffs. So what do you do with the roster? Well, typically in that situation, you offload guys who might be on expiring contracts. You go to Kyle Oposo, you say, do you want, or he goes to you and says, I want one last run, maybe to play for a playoff team. Maybe that happens. You're not going to get much for him. You got Eric Robinson. You got Eric Johnson. Or, I'm sorry, you got Eric Johnson. You got, um, I think maybe Robinson. I got to look at his contract. But these are guys that might get, you know, they just picked up Robinson. But Eric Johnson for sure. You know, these are the, the these are the players that you'd be normally moving. Not guys like Casey Middlestat now. Any team in the playoffs would want Casey Middlestat, no doubt. But why would that team give up players they need for the playoffs? That's the issue I have and why I'm wondering how they're going to do this. So now you have the Owen Power injury on top of that. He he eats up minutes. He has not had a great season. He's had basically, I think, what we'd call a sophomore slump. Don Granado was asked about him on Jeremy and Joe this morning. And he sounded the same way he did. Who did he talk about a couple of weeks ago? Oh, Cousins. I think it was Cousins, right? No? Man, was it Cousins? It was somebody else. I remember Granado talking about somebody a couple weeks ago, and I can't remember who it was right now, and basically said the same thing. Maybe, maybe it was Owen Power. Maybe it was the same guy. And he said the same thing he's talking about Owen Power today, which is, yeah, well, like a lot of our team, they're struggling, but you see the you see the talent. That's another way of saying they didn't give you as much as you wanted this year. That's an, that's That's coach speak and code for we have not, he has not progressed the way we needed to, and we need him to be better. And look, I, I mean, he is a he is a second year guy. He's super young, Owen Power. And I'm not ready to throw Owen Power out. I know a lot of you very frustrated. What does it matter? I saw the reaction today when it was announced Owen Power is going to miss a week or two or something like that, right? Granado says it's going to be a few games, probably at least a week, maybe a little more. And the reaction from social media is, well, addition by subtraction. Well, it doesn't matter. They don't need him. Right. They might not need him for like a playoff race, but I still want Owen Power to play. And get better, and he's still one of the, you know, he's a top defenseman on this team, even though he hasn't played that well, because nobody's quite frankly played up to that level that they needed to this year. Except maybe J.J. Paterka and Casey Middlestad, I guess. So, and lately UPL. You get the point, though, which is, I just don't, I don't, I don't know what the path is here. I don't know what they're trying to accomplish. I'm so intrigued and interested on what they want to do. And tonight... They play the LA Kings downtown, and I'll be there, and I want them to win. I'll go. I'll root for them, and I'll be sitting with my 10-year-old son who just wants to see the Sabres win, and whenever they play a game, I'll, he'll say, who are they playing? I'll tell him. he say, are they good? And if I tell him, yeah, they're like the best team in the league, he'll be like, eh. He'll be thinking, I don't want to go. They're going to lose. <laughs> and then if I say, like, yeah, this team is not that good, then you're like, oh, yeah, we might win. But he, we love going to the games anyway and being a part of it, so... I always see a lot of you out there, people who are listening. So thanks for saying hi whenever you see me at the arena down there. Love going down. We'll be there downtown tonight. Game's at 7. Puck drops at 7 downtown. Pre-game at 6 here on WGR Sports Radio 550 and along the Sabres radio network. We're going to get with Paul Hamilton at the bottom of the hour. And at the top of the next hour at 11.05, it is going to be our friend Evan Lazar from Covers the Patriots. He was... He was at the, uh, I think, eh, I don't know, he was at the, um, I think he was at the Senior Bowl, I believe. But either way, uh, he's been doing some of the events lately. He's been 
really all on top of what's happening in New England. I think it's very interesting what their quarterback situation is. They have the number three pick. There's been some reports they're going to try to trade Mac Jones. I don't know what you can get for him. Uh, there's been some different quarterback talk out there with some different teams lately. So he's going to join me, Evan Lazar, at 11.05. In case you uh, have not realized it, I am not just dominating the conversation and not letting Joe DiBiase talk. Joe isn't with us today. He's not here. So that's why you got me, Sal Capaccio. I'll be off the rest of the week, though. Uh, today. Today's the last day you get a chance to talk to me this week. So if you want to get in, do that. 803-0550 is the number. 803-0550. And I want to turn the conversation to the Bills. We'll get back to the Sabres when we have Paul on in a little while. But the reason why I want to turn the conversation to the Bills is yesterday I was on a podcast with John Scott of Spectrum News. Now, I do this podcast with him every year. It's a video podcast. We go over to the Spectrum News building. They, you know, have a have cameras and stuff. And there's, you know, uh, there's audio and there's video and they put it on their YouTube page and their Facebook do a really good job of it. John invited me again this year. And this year it was myself. It was Matt Perino of Syracuse.com. And it was Joe Biscalia of The Athletic. And John, as he always does, asks the panel to give a bold take for the 20, for the offseason and into the new season. Last year, my bold take was wrong. Just going to be freely admitting of it. And this is an old takes exposed thing. But it is a bold take, right? My bold take last year was that the Bills were going to sign Gabe Davis to an extension before the new season started. Obviously, that not only did not happen, but it still hasn't happened. And I'm pretty sure at this point, we're all thinking Gabe Davis is no longer going to be a Buffalo Bill and he's going to get a contract from someone else. That was my bold take last year. Did not hit. This year, I'm going to give you my bold take. I'm not going to give you Matt's or Joe's because I want you to watch it and I'll tease it and I'll let you know. But I will tell you, Matt's bold take had to do with what position the Bills may go, where they may go in the first round of the draft. His bold take. All right. Might uh, be interesting for you to listen to and fire off some uh, tweets or whatever at Matt, Matt Perino. And then Joe's bold take was a certain position already on the Bills and how they may fill a void and who might be starting there next year. So I want you to go watch that. Go check it out. You can find it. I retweeted it at Sal Sports. John Scott, Spectrum News. It was me. It was Matt. It was Joe. Had an hour-long discussion on all things Bills. Those were our bold takes. I want your bold take for the offseason. That's what I want on this program today. What's your bold take for the Bills offseason? Now, what's a bold take? Now, you could go as far as you want, of course, and give something completely unreasonable, but why would you waste your time calling with that? A bold take is basically, hey, I think this might happen. I'm going to give a take. I think this might happen. Yeah, maybe not be a great shot of it, but I'm going to go. I'm going to call my shot. That could be a contract extension, a release, a trade, a draft pick, more drafting, something with coaching, something with front office. I mean, you could even do schedule. I don't care. Something this offseason that you have a bit of a bold take about. You've just been thinking, you know what? I just really think the Bills might do this. 803-0550. Taking your bold takes today on the Extra Point Show on this day before Valentine's Day. Did you go out and buy anybody any Valentine's Day gifts yet? Did you buy those cards yet for the kids when they go to school and they got to give cards out or candy hearts? They still do that? I think we do. i gotta, I got to find out if we're doing that. If he's going to school tomorrow with candy hearts to hand out, uh, did you did you do that before, uh, Josh? You do you remember when you went to school on Valentine's Day and did you have that thing where everybody got a Valentine's Day card and you wrote something nice on it? Did you do that? Yeah, they'd be those little like cheap like tiny little yeah. squares and and it would just say something cheesy on it. Yeah, we used to do that mm-hmm. until probably like I don't know like sixth grade I think, and then 
you know, we got to high school and everyone stopped. And you just got too old for it. You're not doing it anymore, right? Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I could tell you that I remember doing it in, you know, second and third grade. And I remember saving the card of the girl I liked who gave me a card. I would save it. My mom found one in the drawer one time. Like, why do you have this card? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I was like probably in fourth grade. I'm like, I don't know. I I just, I don't know. Uh, But yeah, I say I would save the card of the girl that I liked in class who gave me that Valentine guard card. Mm-hmm. I might still have it somewhere. I don't know. I think you got to look for it now. You got to look for it now. I doubt I have it. I, I'm going to leave the show to go look for that card right now. Uh, 803-0550 if you want to give a call here on the Extra Point Show on WGR. Sal Capaccio with you. Uh, we will go to the phone lines. Look at your bold takes on the Bills offseason today. Uh, but let's start with Russ in New Jersey. Hi, Russ. You're on the Extra Point Show. What's up? Hi, good morning. I want to go back because I had a good conversation with you yesterday. We spoke about the uh, the Super Bowl, about the, the overtime in the Frisco. Yep. I don't know if you remember. Let, let me ask I do. two questions because I got off the phone and I thought of something. Number one, first of all, based on what you said, do you think if Frisco, and they got down to the nine-yard line, do you think if they would have scored a touchdown, they would have gone for two? And my second question is, Going back to the, to the to the Chiefs, you said they would they said they would have gone for two. I wonder. I, I know they said they talked about it, but I wonder if they talked out about that. You know, before the game, and it, it didn't have to be overtime. It could have been at the end of the game. If they, you know, but my my point is, was the reasoning because they thought, oh, my defense is so tired. Because if you think about it. No, no, let me, no, no, I I can answer your questions, Russ, right here, before you go on. I'm sorry, only because I have more calls, but I'll answer your questions, all right? The first, I'll take a second question first. The Chiefs said they've been rehearsing that all year, that if they got into that position in the playoffs, they would go for two if they got the ball second. This was not something they thought of just in the middle of the game. They had thought about that. I don't, I, I don't know, I don't know about the end of the game scenario if they'd gone for two, but specifically, they had said, and Andy Reid and the, their players said, it's something back to training camp they thought about. Hey, if we're in the playoffs in this scenario, we're going for two. Okay. But let me ask you a question on that. What are the better odds? Now, take the defense being tired out of the equation. Are better yep. odds that you kick the one, you kick off the Frisco? What percentage of drives do you think Frisco started from their 25 and scored on? Now, remember, if they I could probably. I could probably look that up, but I think. But here's what I would tell you: you have over a fifty percent chance of conversion on a two point conversion. So you would win the game. You have over a half of a chance to win on that one play versus giving the team the hold on just for just giving the team the ball and letting them go down and kick a field goal. Now I want to take your first question. I have no idea if San Francisco would have gone for two on that if they'd scored. I don't think Kyle Shanahan would have just knowing the way he coached. I don't in coaches. I I don't think they would have, but they certainly could have. Right, because so I think just to finish this, um, I, I think they, they uh, I, th- I think they're probably better odds of you taking the one. I'm just saying by odds, nothing to do with the defense being tired, and and Frisco probably doesn't score on drive starting at the 25. There's probably less chances than you. Well, they just the did next- the previous drive. Right, right. That's a, that's fair, and that's fair. If you if if I say they would right because if I say they would have they would only need to get to the other team's thirty yard line thirty five yard line you know Russ so hey buddy I got to run but it's it's all good fodder to talk about and I appreciate you following up thank you uh, you got it buddy let's go to Ron in Jamestown what's the bold take Ron well hey Sal um, 
we met down on the field during the year, and I think that the Jets, with a healthy Aaron Rodgers back, are going to overtake the Dolphins and be the main competition for the Bills next year. Okay. So this is more of an in-season 2024 take, not a Bills off-season take, which is fine. Now I will ask you, where will they be in relation to the Bills, do you think? I I still think that the Bills are the cream of the crop in the AFC East. I think that uh, Brandon Bean is going to do his homework, and uh, I think Gabe Davis is gone. We're going to bring in a rookie wide receiver that is going to be very efficient and uh, do the job well enough to help uh, uh, Stefan get back to where he needs to be for us to really be successful. All right, Ron, thanks a lot for the uh, bold take. Let's go to Joe in Akron. Hi, Joe. Yes, uh, hi, Sal. I want to appreciate you, uh, everything you do for the Bills. Um, I want to do, uh, it's kind of a take, and then with a little bit of input from you, I would would like to know uh, what it would take if we could trade uh, Gabe Davis in our first rounder. And how much more it would take to get like a Myron Harrison Jr. or somebody like that? Well, you can't trade Gabe Davis. He's on an expiring contract. His contract is up. Um, oh, okay. There, there's a there's a freeze. You can't trade until the new league year. And once the new league year starts, his contract's up. Oh, okay. What, what would it take to get a somebody like a premier guy like Myron Harrison Jr. for this team? Okay, so good question, Joe. Let me address it here. I'm gonna. Um, uh, I, I'm going to even weave this into what my bold take is, okay? My bold take that I gave John Scott on Spectrum News, like I said, don't want to ruin the whole show, but I'll give it to you. I say the Bills actually do move up to take a wide receiver this year. I, I don't This is just a bold take, folks. It's a prediction. I have no idea. They have moved up recently, and they have taken guys in spots. They moved up to get um, Dalton Kincaid last year. They moved up to get Kyrie Elam. They did not move up the year they got Greg Rousseau. They were sitting there, but I think they, I think they liked Jane Phillips. Jalen Phillips was a little too high, but they still got a guy they liked in Greg Rousseau. Um, they have seen players at positions they like get drafted ahead of where they pick. And I think this year might be the year where Brandon Bean says, screw it, I'm going up high enough to make sure I get my guy. So how high is that, Joe, to answer your question? If you wanted Marvin Harrison, if you wanted Malik Neighbors, you are easily giving up next year's number one. Easily. Because those guys are going in the top ten. You want to get in the top ten, Joe, you're giving up next year's number one. If you want to get to maybe around 20 from 28, I don't think it'll cost a one. It could. It's probably going to cost a two. You okay with that, Joe? Going up to top ten, you're going to have to go up next year's number one and some. I I think we got to go for it now. We can't keep waiting. Okay, I like it. That was my bold take, that I think they do go higher than normal. Maybe they do give up next year's number one. By the way, let's remember the trade that the Chiefs came up to get from the Bills. It was 27-10. to 10. They took Patrick Mahomes. They gave up their next year's number one, and that, that current year in the draft, number two, the Bills drafted Deion Dawkins. You want to go that high? You're talking a two, a one, there's more. Now, the Chiefs took a quarterback that might kind of change the equation a little bit. That's what you're talking about. Paul Hamilton on the way. We'll talk Sabres. We'll get an update on Owen Power, what Don Granado said about him today. And then we'll get back to your phone calls and your bold takes for the Bills 2023, uh, 2024 offseason here on the Extra Point Show on WGR. 
It's Paul Hamilton. That's what they called me in college. It's the bone. He has the facts to back up his opinions. People ask me, well, how are the Sabres going to win tonight? I don't have a clue. On WGR Sports Radio 550. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. And Paul Hamilton joins me on the West Her Hotline. Sabres back in action tonight. They take on the Los Angeles Kings. 7 o'clock puck drop downtown. 6 o'clock pregame here on WGR. And... Paul, we heard news today from Don Granato right here on WGR that Owen Power is going to be out a little while. What more can you tell us? Yeah, it's, uh, it seemed like he was uh, messing with his hand last yesterday in practice, and uh, uh, we don't know that for sure. That's what the injury is, but that just seemed like what they were looking at before he left. So that puts Jacob Bryson into the lineup, and uh, I don't believe Riley Stillman's playing yet in Rochester. Uh, I'd have to check on that, but uh, he was injured. Um, I'll have to check to see if he's back yet or not. So I don't know if he would be somebody, because they got to get a defenseman up here as their number seven, probably going to be Cal Clegg uh, that will wind up uh, up here. So uh, that puts him down 2D. As you know, Samuelson is out for the season. He has had his surgery. It went the way they thought it would, so that all went well. But uh, he's out for the season, and now Power's out for a week or two. You know, last year, Paul, they had a bunch of injuries. And I remember the conversation with Kevin Adams about why do you have all these injuries? They're going to examine the training staff. It doesn't feel like this year those are the kinds of injuries they're having. These are accidents happening on the ice. Guys getting hit with pucks, right? Guys running into boards. These are the kinds of injuries that nobody could really predict or do anything about. Whereas last year it was, hey, why are we having these soft muscle issue injuries, tissue injuries? And that's not the case this year, but they have had certainly a long string of bad luck with them. Yeah, you've got the concept right. It was two years ago. Last year, they were actually pretty Thank good you. at injuries. Thank you. Sorry. Thank um, you. But, yes. but the concept is correct, yes. Um, and, you know, it is something that they look at in the summertime uh, with injuries and what can they do in their training. They get together with uh, sports science and what can they do. I mean, part of what sports science is also is making sure the players don't overdo when their bodies are in fatigue. And sports science people know 
when the human body is in fatigue and when you have to back off or when you can really go hard. And, uh, you know, that's what sports science is all about. So, uh, you know, they work in hand in hand and very carefully with that department. Paul Hamilton's reports here on WGR, as always, brought to you by Equitable Advisors. Thinking about today and planning for tomorrow and by Raylax Honda. Raylax, we got this. When Granado was asked about Owen Power's season, he kind of gave an answer that was, to me, coach speak for, yeah, it really hasn't been that great. And, you know, he has not given us what we've needed because he said, like a lot of our players, you know, he's struggled and he's had times, but you see the talent. I, I've, I've gotten that answer about too many of these guys this year, but Owen Power is right in the thick of it. What has, why has his season seemingly been a sophomore slump, do you think? A lot of it is being a second-year defenseman, and you can go with Hedman, Carlson, Dahlin. All of them struggled for at least three years, some of them four, before they became mm. the players that they are today. Um, Powers in his second season. I, I would agree. I, actually, for about 15, 16 games where the Sabres were the third-best uh, defensive team in the NHL right before these last two games, and actually they haven't given up all that many goals in the last two games either. That probably That probably hasn't changed too much. Uh, I, I thought he had improved. I thought he, Darlene, Samuelson, before he got injured, all had started to play better, and he started to play better. The biggest thing I see with him that he has to improve on is awareness. He just seems to, at times, like especially in front of the net, to be clueless that somebody's with him, and then that guy scores a goal, and he's like shocked. Like, oh, what? What happened? Type of thing. He gets locked on the puck. And he puck watches, and then guys get around him or go by him, and he doesn't even know they're there. So I think to me, those types, that type of awareness is something that I think he really needs to improve on. I'm not extremely worried about him just because I know the history of developing defensemen. It doesn't always happen that way. It didn't happen that way for Quinn Hughes in Vancouver. Uh, it didn't happen that way for McCarr in Colorado. So it doesn't always happen that way, but I've seen some guys who are going to be Hall of Fame defensemen uh, in, in Carlson and Hedman struggle mightily in their first three or four years. So it, honestly, with Owen Power, it doesn't surprise me. Paul, there's been buzz out there about Casey Middlestat maybe moving him. Um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, you don't know what's going to happen necessarily, but would it be a mistake to trade Casey Middlestat? And if you did, what, did, what would you need to get back for him? Well, you, you need to get players back for him. I was listening to you earlier, and I agree 100%. Good players. I mean, the yeah. the days of getting 18-year-olds and draft picks and all that, uh, that's not what the Sabres need right now. They have enough of that. And I agree also that it's not, not impossible to make a hockey trade at the deadline, but it's not done all that often. We've already had one with Calgary uh, and Vancouver. That was a hockey trade about a week or a week and a half ago, but they aren't all that common. So, what we're talking about with Casey Middlestad could be something where they lay the groundwork now, and then it happens sometime in the summertime. There's only so many guys you can pay, and they've already identified some of their core and paid those players. I'm sure they'd like to get long-term contracts when the time comes with Quinn. Paterka and Levi. I mean, I'm sure that's what they're looking at. And it just comes to a point where there's only so many guys you can sign and to long-term deals. Now, if Casey Middlestat was willing to sign a one- or two-year deal, yeah, you could, you'd fit him in. But um, 
my point that I made earlier, and I'm going to keep making it, is they got some really good hockey players, and it's not working. You know, they just, as a team together, this core group is not working. And especially at home, where they're awful for two consecutive years, that's not a fluke anymore. You could have said maybe last year's a fluke. But they've done the exact same thing this year, actually worse. So that, to me, is not a fluke. That's a bunch of guys who freeze up and don't play at home and can't play at home and tend to play much better on the road. But I don't think it's one of those things where you can just laugh it off and say, well, they'll get better. No, it's not anymore. They'll get better. And my, my thought is, why does it necessarily have to be Casey Middlestat? I mean, I'm not blaming, and I'm, I'm, I'm repeating what I said earlier, and I'm going to keep saying mm-hmm. it. I'm not blaming Thompson or Cousins or any of those guys I might bring up here. But you need a, you need a good defenseman. You don't need to make over your number six and number seven defenseman. You need a guy that can play next to Rasmus Dahlin, a number two or a number three type of a guy. Who says you can't trade Tage Thompson for that guy? Who says you can't trade Dylan Cousins for that guy? And if you do that, now you have room to, number one, put Casey Middlestat into the top six. And number two, make him part of your core. And you also have behind Casey Middlestat a bunch of centers. Kulik, Savoy, Oslin, all number one picks. So you have guys behind them. So I'm not, I'm not saying trade those guys for just mm-hmm. anything, but if they net you a guy you, you can say is your number two defenseman is a right-handed shot who can play with Darlene, why does it have to be Casey Middlestat? Be bold. Sometimes, you know, you just have to be bold and make a move love it. That, that's bold, you know? Not because you're down on the player <laughs> that you're trading. No. But you're getting a... There's nothing wrong with both teams being happy with the return they get on their trade uh, that way. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily, in my mind, have to be Casey Middlestat. But moves have to be made because this group as is doesn't work. I, I love it because my theme of my show today is what's your bold take for the Bills offseason? I'm asking people, and you just use the word bold. And what you're saying, Paul, is essentially, hey, Nobody can be untouchable here. Yeah, you, yes. it would suck. You don't want to trade Darlene. Dylan Cousins. You don't Darlene want to trade Tate Thompson. But you, yeah. Who is? Darlene. Darlene. He'd That's be your it. only one. Yep. Okay. But ever, yeah, but right. You can't have a as much as you love what you're you 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 think you love what you're building and you have these young players and you've locked some up, you can't have a mindset of they're not going to be you I can't trade them because I mean, you need to make your team better, and that's at the end of the day what the objective is here. So, no, I, I like it, and I, I wouldn't want to see those guys traded, but you're right. If you want to get better, that might have to be the route that this team has to go. Um, Devin Levi, obviously another sophomore season, hasn't gone completely the way they wanted. Joe always points out it's kind of normal, though, for a goalie to have you know this type of season and this type of development. Where do you think they stand on their goaltending situation now as it looks heading into 2024? Are they, do you think they're confident once they get to September, October, they have the right two guys right now in Levi and UPL? Or are we going to be doing the same dance we did last year? If Lukanen continues to play like he is throughout the end of the season, I think that's a big enough. It, it's not like he just did it in the last half month of the season. It would, he basically did it for most of the season except when he came back from sickness. 
that was really the only stretch where you didn't like his play. Uh, but um, I, I think Lukanen, if he continues on the, what he's doing right now, I think has shown them they have a goalie. You know, they, they, they can count on him, and it's not something they have to worry about. Levi is doing the same thing that Ryan Johnson's doing, too. College players, their first year in pro hockey. It's not easy on a lot of college players. They're not used to this type of schedule. They're used to Friday and Saturday games and then practices. Friday, Saturday games and then practices. They're not used to playing three and four and what they're going in. I've noticed a slip in Ryan Johnson's play. Not that I'm worried about it. I, I think he'll be fine as a defenseman, but he's not used to this type of a pace that he's into for the first time. This is the first time Levi's been into this pace. And Joe's right, goaltenders also. Ryan Miller played, spent time in the American Hockey League. Hellebuck spent time in the American Hockey League. I believe it was 88 games for him. Ryan Miller talks very highly about the time he spent learning in the American Hockey League. So it would, you know, I, it doesn't surprise me that Levi has to take this route. I thought if there was anybody that could maybe jump from college hockey to the pros, it would be him, but I was wrong, just going by what I saw at the end of last year. But, uh, no, he wasn't ready to do that. And, you know, he's where he's supposed to be. And I, I think they – I don't really – even if Lukanen gets hurt, this this is done. I don't even know if I would touch Levi then. I, I bring up Tokarski, let Comrie and Tokarski, whatever. I just – I think I, I for his development – I think Levi needs to be there for the rest of the season. If the Amherst made the playoffs, go on a playoff run and go through that whole thing. Uh, this this team is not going to go on a 10-game winning streak. Um, so if if Lukanen were to get hurt, all right, it's not going to be fun probably to have Comrie and Tukarski in your net, but I would rather leave Levi there and let him learn. Paul, both UPL and Casey Middlestead are RFAs at the end of the year. If they are both on the team at the end of the season and aren't traded at the deadline for some reason, would arbitration be a possibility for either of them? Would you see any of that? Middlestead has arbitration. I'd have to look up if Lukanen does. Um, okay. I don't believe so, but I, I have to look it up uh, to, to okay. see. But, uh, yeah, as far as... Um, Casey? I Casey... You know he's going to be probably a five six million dollar hockey player. Honestly, with Lukanen just now starting, I don't know what to make of how much money he could make. Is it long term? Do you sign him to a two year deal? Do you try to lock him up? That I don't have an answer for you there. I, I, again, he's just you know kind of getting into being a number one goaltender now. So uh, what does that mean uh, as far as a contract goes? I don't know if even his agent right now, if you were to ask him what that means as far as his contract goes. So uh, it's a very interesting proposition when it comes to him as where he might go as far as contract terms, how long, what is that, what is the price. I think you can get a pretty good handle on Casey Middlestat's price, but uh for Lukanen, I, I think that's going to be a lot harder. I'm assuming Lukanen in goal tonight? Yep, I think it's Lukanen in goal until he mm-hmm. wears down or you get to the back-to-back in the beginning of March, which is a back-to-back in Toronto and in Nashville. Kind of a weird road trip, but oh, yeah. uh, in, in in those two places. And 
Uh, so I think uh, Lukanen goes till then as long as he can. Two little things from this game, by the way, I wanted to mention before we go because I know we're probably sure. short on time. Both teams are going against the grain here. The Sabres are not good at home. <laughs> Unless they're playing the Los Angeles Kings. In their last 21 games, they're 17-3-1 at home against the Kings. Now, the Kings have a very good 15-6-4 road record. But, all right, 6-4 adds up to 10 losses because you take a loss for the overtimes and everything. Seven of those 10 losses have come in their last eight road games. Wow. So, yeah, they got a really good road record, but not lately. <laughs> you know, no, and I remember when the, the Sabres played them. When the Sabres played them at home a couple weeks ago, they had been on a bit of a skid, too. Yeah, they do, they won their last time. road game. Before that, they were 1-4-3 yeah. in their last eight road games. So some, one of these trends is going to have to break here tonight. Well, I in, in the Sabres, by the way, so everybody knows, Sabres are wearing their um, black and red, their goat head jerseys tonight, in case you're going downtown uh, to the arena. I, I am tight on time, but I did not want to forget this, and I almost did. What is your take on the Morgan Riley-Ridley Gregg situation? You can't be cross-checking people in the head. He needs to be suspended for a long time. And if if there is the code is violated, then the code is violated and uh, whatever. But you can't go running around cross-checking him in the head. It, it's just you can't. And uh, so uh, he needs to be suspended and suspended for a good long time. Yes, Uko Pekalukin does have arbitration, by the way. I was looking that up while we were talking. Thank you. Um, so he does have arbitration rights. Uh, so, yeah. I, 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 if Riley I, just goes and grabs him and takes him down and says, I'm going to your gloves. I don't think we're in this, this situation at all, and yeah. everybody kind of understands each side, right? Drop your gloves, let's go, if you think yeah. he's violated a code or, or whatever. But you cannot... It's like in baseball, if the code is violated and the, the teams go out and they fight at the pitcher's mound, that's fine. But if you bring a bat with you and start swinging <laughs> yeah. a bat or drop-kicking guys with your spikes, different story. You know, the way so, you say uh, violate the code, I feel like you think <laughs> that he did nothing wrong by slapping it either. Like, are you? Do you think that was just like, come on, what are we doing? Or I don't care. Do you care he slapped it? Would you care? I don't personally care, but I, I understand okay. there's a code and all yeah. that. Uh, it wouldn't really rile me up all that much uh, if I was out there. So what? He took a slap shot in the net. Maybe if we played better, he wouldn't be taking slap shots I, in the empty net because we wouldn't have to pull our goalie. I I, I hear that part of it for sure. Paul, uh, we'll follow you along at PM1717 and WGR550.com. Have a great day and night, and uh, obviously Sabres downtown tonight. You'll be all over it. Thanks, buddy. Take care. All right, you got it. Marty was hot about it yesterday on Sabres Live. He was, yeah, like he thought that was the, that was it. Now he's a goalie talking and that's a net, right? Like the net is sacred for the goalie. Marty was hot and on Sabres Live about the slap shot from Ridley Gregg. And like, yeah, the code violated the code. Get your head on a swivel, pal. Cause you just violated the, he said that like, cause he violated the code. I thought it was a great discussion that him and Duffer had. And I think it's a really, it's one of those discussions we, we have a lot of times in sports. It's Jose Batista flipping the bat after the home run. And right, these codes that come up, these unwritten codes. We talked about that, by the way, on It's Always Game Day in Buffalo, the football podcast. I asked Matt Bove, who's a big hockey fan, what he thought. So check that out. It's Always Game Day in Buffalo. A new episode has dropped both video and audio, but we talked about it, that at the end of it. All right.
When I come back, I only have a couple minutes before we get to Evan Lazar. But when I come back, there is a conspiracy theory floating around out there that you may have seen that has to do with the Kansas City Chiefs and their final drive against the Niners to tie it. Was it fixed? Conspiracy? We will investigate when we come back on the Extra Point Show. Okay, maybe you've seen this, maybe you haven't. I'll explain it, you'll find it, you'll see it. I've had people tweeting at me, I've had friends texting me about it. What is going on? Sal, investigate. All right, I've investigated the NFL last drive, Kansas City Chiefs, it's rigged, conspiracy theory. Here's the situation. There's a video going around, you might have seen it. Chiefs get the ball down 19-16, final drive. There's 153 left inside the two-minute warning. First and 10 at their own 25. Patrick Mahomes passes the ball to Travis Kelsey, who gets a first down. Now they're at the 35-yard line, maybe 36 it looked like could have been. Another first down. Patrick Mahomes scrambles, gets out of bounds after a three-yard gain. All right, it's going to be second and seven, but wait, but wait. The broadcast, the graphic on the bottom says, first and ten again. No, not a second down, a first down. It is rigged. They gave an extra first down. He didn't, he was supposed to be first and ten. How do you only go for three yards and get another first down? It's totally rigged for the Kansas City Chiefs. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I'm i going to play the part of Mulder and Scully here, okay? You ever watch X-Files? I love X-Files. Now, Mulder would have been totally into the conspiracy theory. Like, yes, this is true. Scully would have been like, nah, let me tell you what really happened here. I am Scully here. Here's what happened, just so everybody knows. On the first play, the pass to Kelsey. Yes, it appeared he got a first down. He was not given a first down. They say his knee hit. It was actually second and one, even though the TV graphic put first and ten because everyone assumed he got a first down. So the TV graphic says first and ten. It's actually only second and one. So when Mahomes scrambles for three yards, he gets a first down legitimately. But the TV broadcast says, wait a minute, how could you get first down after it was only first and ten and you went three yards? And now we have people tweeting out videos of it. One of the videos I saw didn't even give you the Travis Kelsey play, so it looked really, really fishy, right? I'm I'm sorry. I have to be scully here and give you the real facts. There was no conspiracy theory. It wasn't rigged. They didn't give Kelsey a first down. If anything, the Chiefs got screwed on that first play because I think Kelsey should have had a first down, but they gave him a second and one. And then Mahomes scrambled for three yards for another first down. Because it was second and one. Sorry to ruin your conspiracy theory party, tinfoil hatters. We'll take a timeout. Evan Lazar from New England up next to talk about the Patriots and their offseason and the NFL and what could be a lot of quarterback movement. We'll do that when we come back on WGR. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. 
Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. The Extra Point Show with Sal Capaccio on WGR Sports Radio 550. You're the coach, Kyle Shanahan. It's your job to make sure you articulate what the situation is, that your players know all the rules they need to know. That's number one. Number two, hold the players accountable. Last time I checked, you can read. Yes. You're playing the game. This is your profession. How in God's name are you going to be post-game at the Super Bowl and talk about you weren't even aware of the circumstances of an overtime game when it's a Super Bowl championship on the line? As much as I disagreed with Stephen A. about the I can't believe Lamar Jackson was unanimous and, you know, go shame anyone who didn't vote for him, which is ridiculous last week, I agree with him there for sure. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in a vacuum if the, you know, 49ers players knew or didn't know. It's not like they're going to play different on the overtime. But it's absolutely on Kyle Shanahan to at least make them aware. They should have been aware for a while. I mean, that was it what Andy Reid did. That, to me, it's just a window into coaching. It's a window into how you operate. And the guy I'm going to have on next knows all about that because Bill Belichick, that's, he, he knows all those rules and he, he tells his team, they understand all of those rules because you never know when there is a situation that comes up in a game or in a season where you got to understand that. And there's going to be things that, you know, players don't have to know, but co- it's on coaches to, to have them understand these things because there's a window. To me, that's where my feeling is. It's not that the 49ers players didn't know in the moment. It's that Kyle Shanahan never talked to them about it. Like, that, that's a window into your coaching philosophy, and it says a lot about you, and that would be, to me, what I'd be upset about if I was a Niners fan in that situation. Not that they lost because they didn't know the rules, but that particular situation. See what um, Evan Lazar says about that. Evan joins us as he always does from out in Boston, EZ Lazar on Twitter. I just found out it's World Radio Day. But how about that, Evan? We're on together on World Radio Day. Welcome back in, buddy. I'm honored that you would include me in, in such a big day. <laughs> Thank you. Am I right? I mean, Bill Belichick, he would always make sure his teams knew a lot of these little intricacies and rules. And even if you don't have to know, it's just a window into how prepared your team is going to be. Oh, yeah. I mean, there there were several times I can tell you that going back to training camp and all the different practices that we got to see where they would have these random situations that Bill Belichick would be barking out at, at the end of practice, you know, down three, down four, uh, need a touchdown, need a field goal, uh, overtime, like whatever the case may be, and they would just run through these scenarios. And some of them were these odd that you just would never think that they would come up in a game. And then sure enough, they would come up in the game and they would be prepared. So uh, as much as uh, right now it, it seems like it's pile on Bill for for things that he did at the end, uh, uh, those are one of the things that were hallmarks of the Patriots for 20 years. Before we get to the team you cover, the New England Patriots, let's reflect on Sunday. Um, what did you think about, you know, how that game kind of ultimately unfolded and the, the Chiefs being able to win a Super Bowl in a year where so many people felt and really it bore out where they were a little bit down this year? Yeah, I think what it comes back to, and it's, you know, obviously always spinning it to the Patriots for me, it's just when you remember the Patriots at the height of their powers, they were never dead until they were officially in the ground. Right. Yeah, and right. like, I feel the same way about these chiefs teams that 
Uh, they might not play the cleanest game. They weren't the best offensively this year compared to what they've been in years past, but they still have that ability to just hang around and hang around. And then when they came to the clutch moments late in the game, they were able to just ride those occasions a little bit more uh, than the 49ers. And the, the drive in overtime, it really, I tweeted it out right afterwards. Uh, that was like a, a vintage Brady drive of, you know, you need yep. a touchdown to win the Super Bowl. And was anybody have any doubt whatsoever what Patrick Mahomes was going to do in that situation? It, it reminded me a lot. You know, obviously different scenario, but because of the Kyle Shanahan comparison of the Falcons Super Bowl in 28 to three, when the Patriots won the toss in overtime and they got the ball, it was like a foregone conclusion that they were going to win the game at that point. And I feel the same way once, you know, the Niners kicked the field goal in overtime and gave the ball to Patrick Mahomes needing a touchdown to win it. I was like, well, this game is over. You know, he's just going to go down and, and score a touchdown. And that's exactly what happened. So uh, as much as I think it irks a lot of people around New England that he's already being crowned uh, the greatest quarterback of all time as he's four Super Bowls short of Tom Brady, uh, I can still see uh, why everybody is, is giving Mahomes his flowers and he, he definitely deserves it. I, I agree with giving him his flowers, but you won't find that from me. It's Brady for me, and it's going to be for a while. He's still got some work to do to get up there, but certainly they deserve a lot of credit. And it's the ultimate perfect situation like Brady had with Belichick. It's the perfect quarterback with the perfect coach, right, Evan? I mean, this is Andy Reid with Patrick Mahomes is just a great scenario for that organization, and, and that's why it works so well, partly because of, you know, obviously, the, I'm not saying that another coach couldn't get Mahomes to win, but having those two paired together is a dream for that organization. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of it stems from the beginning as well for their, their two careers with Brady and, and Mahomes. Brady, I, when he came into the league, it was obviously a different game back then, but he wasn't as polished. He wasn't as ready. You know, Mahomes sits the year and then plays. and He just wasn't as statistically dominant as Mahomes was right out of the gate. But he had somebody like Belichick who was, bringing him along and supporting him on the other side of the ball with a great defense. And then as Brady, maybe around 2003, I would say started to take off and become uh, the Tom Brady that he was for the you know, better half of his career. I, I just look at Mahomes as similar where when he comes in and he starts that second year, they have Tyree killed. They have Travis Kelsey. They have this offense that was already top 10 in the league in a lot of categories with Alex Smith the year before and it was just such a great situation to drop uh, Patrick Mahomes into, and then he takes off. So I, I think both coaches have really helped those guys maybe accelerate their development a little bit faster than what people expected. And, you know, I don't think anybody expected Brady to win as a six-round pick in his second year, and I don't think anybody expected Mahomes to be the best quarterback in the league right out of the gate. Uh, but they were dropped into such great situations with great head coaches uh, that they almost hit the ground running. You know, there's been so much talk, Evan, about how you can never beat them now. Like, how you get, this is the year that beat them, and you still couldn't beat them. And oh my God. And yeah, they're going to be around a while. We know they're going to be around a while. But you have an up close look, and you had an up close look of a 20 year dynasty. But I remind people that when the Patriots won three out of four to start it, they went 10 years without winning one. Now they were in the mix, they went to the Super Bowl a couple of times. But those 10 years can. Can you at least give a little bit of solace to Bills fans, Bengals fans, Ravens fans, whoever, and say, look, it doesn't have to be like this every year. There were times the Patriots didn't win this darn thing. Yeah, well, I, I think that there's there's two things. One, what the Patriots had to go through, and, and the Chiefs will have to go through this eventually. I, I think this is the part that the Chiefs haven't necessarily hit. And I know that they moved on from Tyree Kill, and, and they pivoted in, in certain ways in that respect. But 
keeping the roster championship caliber around the quarterback year in and year out is extremely difficult to do. And the Patriots over a 20 year period, they went through very, uh, you know, various different iterations of how they were built uh, to win football right. games. You know, first it was defense and it was Oh seven. And, you know, between like Oh seven and 2014, it's, it's these high flying offenses and record breaking offenses. And uh, then, you know, d- towards the latter part of Brady's career, it, it starts to be a little bit more balanced again. So they had to go through these different types of roster turnovers that I don't know if the Chiefs have fully done that yet. Like, remember, Brady won a Super Bowl at the beginning with, like, Deion Branch and Troy Brown and David Givens. And those were his guys. Then he had Rob Gronkowski and Julian Edelman. Like, that's a completely different team. You know, like, it's a completely different group of guys. So Travis Kelsey is 34 years old. You know, what? what's the next? iteration like Patrick Mahomes is going to play a lot of football in his career without Travis Kelsey because Travis Kelsey is going to be a part of like the 2001 through 2004 Patriots like that's going to be Kelsey and then 10 years from now Mahomes might still be playing and it's going to be with a completely different cast of characters so that if you're trying to find solace in in this Chiefs run ending I, I think that it's a lot easier said than done to do what the Patriots did which was have a consistent championship caliber roster basically for 20 years and have it completely change and, and uh, turn over over and over again mm-hmm. with different faces around Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and be able to sustain it. So I think that that's when they ran into, you know, the 10 year drought that you mentioned, some of it was bad luck or coming up a little bit short, like in 07 and 2011 in the Super Bowl against the Giants. Uh, but some of that also was other teams like 09, 2010, 06. Like they didn't have the greatest of teams uh, those years because they were almost in like a mini rebuild, even though they were still competitive. Yeah, good stuff. I like that. Evan Lazar here on the West Her Hotline. All right, Evan, last time we spoke, um, I believe it was right at the end of the regular season, and you said you didn't know how the reaction would be if they did hire Gerard Mayo. What has that been, the reaction of Gerard Mayo, and how everything – has happened and unfolded with the fan base, basically, in New England and how it all went down with Bill Belichick and then circling back to hiring Gerard Mayo. Yeah, I mean, like, as you would expect, Sal, there's obviously a, a big chunk of fans that were going to be Bill people till they die and are yeah. upset with the organization for moving on from Bill Belichick. And I think that those fans uh, have an argument, and they're probably always going to feel that same way, that they would have much rather have seen Bill Belichick just end it here whether it was four win seasons or not they it would just like he owed it they would owed it to him right to to go out on his terms mm-hmm. and at the end it i i think that there's a lot of other people too that you know just to, on the negative side of things uh, that feel like they should have opened up this search and they don't love the fact that uh, they promised the job to gerard mayo contractually and almost backed themselves into a corner where they had to hire gerard mayo there was other people available. Maybe there was other people that they didn't know were going to be available a year ago when they wrote that into Gerard Mayo's contract, like a Mike Rabel, for instance, who is obviously a Patriots Hall of Famer and, and a, a fan favorite around here. So when Mike Rabel becomes available, I think a lot of people are like, well, you don't even interview him. You, know, you don't even have him in the building. And, uh, you know, the Patriots stuck to their guns and stuck to their plan and are, are, are rolling with Gerard Mayo. But I think at the same time, it's, it's all about what they put around Gerard Mayo. And this coaching staff starting to come together a little bit. Um, I don't think it went exactly as planned on the offensive side of the ball. I think they had 
bigger names, bigger fish on the offensive coordinator uh, that they didn't weren't able to land. Uh, but in general, I think this is all about what they are able to put around Gerard Mayo uh, from a personnel standpoint in the front office. And that's another thing that they've kind of just handed the keys over to Elliot Wolf, who is very qualified and, and had, uh, you know, a lot of people in his corner. Uh, but again, a n- not a open interview process. It's not like they went through like some of these other teams and, and interviewed, you know, 10 candidates for general manager and picked the best one. Uh, they once again almost went with this internal hire, like it's a private business, you know, that they're just promoting from within all over the place. And uh, that has definitely brought on some skepticism about this plan. Is Mac Jones on the Patriots roster opening week? I don't think so. I think that when it comes to Mac, there are arguments to having him stick around in terms of being sort of that bridge quarterback to, let's say, a Jaden Daniels or a Drake May or something like that. Uh, but I think what it, what it boils down to is actually internally, it, there's just no longer a belief in the building, I don't think, for Mac Jones and that Mac Jones is going to be the answer for this team. And he's lost a lot of the confidence and a lot of the uh, – he's you know to put it frankly, he's lost the locker room, right? Like he, he just – there yeah. isn't a whole lot of confidence around him as a player right now. And I think it's best for everybody for, for him to be someplace else next year. As much as you could probably make the case that rookie contract still affordable, mm-hmm. you can win games with him even if he's not the driving force. You can still, uh, as we saw his rookie season, and even at times in 2022, you can still win games as you buy time for the next quarterback to come in here. Uh, but ultimately, I think a lot of people in this building have lost faith. Okay, so that means they're obviously going in a different direction. I don't think it's going to be Bailey Zappi necessarily as a new franchise quarterback. They do have the number three pick. What are you hearing? What do you think they're looking at to do with that three pick? Is it going to be a quarterback? Are they going to go outside to bring someone in and then surround that uh, that new quarterback with other players? Yeah, I would be pretty surprised if it wasn't a quarterback at this point. I mean, it's early and there's a long way to go. and. Things could change, of course, but I just look at the opportunity of having the number three overall pick, and the Patriots haven't drafted this high since Drew Bledsoe, and they drafted him number one overall in the early 90s, so it's been a minute, and I just think that you look at the need and the fact that you are at the top of the draft, and uh, yeah, you could maybe go the Baker Mayfield route and try to search for somebody like that that uh, could have a nice season and get you to the playoffs in a divisional round maybe. But how, how far are you really going to go th- with that quarterback? And is that really a, a long-term plan? You know, it's it's great what players like Baker do in Tampa or even Jared Goff to a degree in Detroit. But I think in terms of building this franchise for the next decade, let's say, uh, it's much more likely that you hit on a quarterback who has a little bit of a higher ceiling that can carry you there. And, and I just don't think you can bank on the fact that, one, you're going to have the third overall pick or a pick that high up in the first round again, and two, uh, that there's going to be quarterbacks available that are worth taking there. I think this is a good quarterback class. Uh, there are three guys at the top, and Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels that are all worthy of that pick. And next year, the class might not be as good, or uh, you might not be quite as high, and then you're talking about having to give up assets to trade up or something like that. So I think that the opportunity is just too juicy there for them sitting at number three. Now we'll see uh, who ends up falling to them at three, and maybe it's not the guy that they want, and and so they end up uh, not going that direction. But 
I think as it stands right now, as we sit here you know, a couple of days after the Super Bowl, I would assume that they will take a quarterback. Is there a is there a particular you know favorite that people think or want or you do as far as you know what Gerard Mayo might might want, what Alex Van Pelt might want as a new offensive coordinator? Like, is there a, a better fit maybe with any of these guys? I do think Drake May is a little bit of a better fit for the type of offense that Alex Van Pelt has run historically with Cleveland. You're talking about mm-hmm. you know a run first, under center, play action heavy, uh, almost like a Shanahan style offense in some ways. Like they. They, they've pivoted a little bit, but in general, the, the overall theme of that Browns offense is run the ball and play action off the run. And I think you look at a guy like Drake May that uh, has all the physical tools, has the mobility, arm talent, and it looks comfortable throwing ball from the pocket maybe a little bit more than somebody like Jaden Daniels. Like if you're going to build an offense around Jaden Daniels and you think you're probably going to be pretty spread heavy, quarterback in the gun, you know, option heavy in the run game, like those types of things. And that's not exactly what Cleveland has been or what Alex Van Pelt has been even going back to his days in Green Bay, let's say, as well as Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. So uh, I think in general it would probably be Drake May that would fit their scheme the best. But uh, I don't know if you necessarily can be that picky if you're the Patriots or you're thinking we can only take this guy because it's a scheme fit or as, you know, if you can't make Jaden Daniels work with his talents and his abilities, um, then maybe the scheme isn't as good as you thought. Let me ask you about two players on the Patriots' current roster who are going to become free agents and what you saw from them and, you know, kind of your general thoughts because Bills fans are looking at two different positions. They see Kendrick Bourne at wide receiver and a guy I loved coming out of the draft, Kyle Duggar at safety. Give me your thoughts on both those guys, their seasons, and where you think projecting they, they could wind up, not necessarily team-wise, but what they still have to offer. Yeah, so look, I, I love Kendrick Bourne. I think Kendrick Bourne is such an infectious personality. His energy is great. His locker room demeanor is great. He just puts out good vibes. And somebody that is always a ton, a ton of energy out in practice. And as you guys know, in Buffalo, when you December and it's 25 degrees out and you're practicing in pads on a Wednesday, like you need those guys, right? You need those guys to to carry you through those types of days. And Kendrick Bourne is one of those guys that's always got a smile on his face. Uh, Even in 2022 where he uh, had a rough year personally and it was kind of in Matt Patricia's doghouse and things like that, I I thought in general uh, he carried himself um, with the same type of attitude. So I, I love Kendrick Bourne. And last year, uh, you know, he was on pace to have a career year before he tore his ACL in late October in Miami. He was going to be up around 900 receiving yards and was really their best playmaker uh, through the first half of last season. Uh, so I do think that he is somebody that uh, a team like Buffalo to put him next to Stephon Diggs and Dalton Kincaid, you know, that would be a great fit for him. He's not a number one receiver, uh, but he's certainly somebody that can be a two or a three in, in a really good offense. And I, I think the Patriots have just missed the boat on that pecking order, as we've talked about here, you know, over the last couple of years at nauseum is they don't have the number one guy. Like they don't have the, they don't have a Stefan Diggs. but if they had a Stefan Diggs and Kendrick Bourne was more like the two, then all of a sudden it starts to make more sense in terms of your offense and, and your, your whole depth chart. And I think that's where Kendrick Bourne fits in for either a contender or the Patriots, you know, trying to bring him back and pair him with a T. Higgins or pair him with a Calvin Ridley. And maybe that is a, a little bit more of a something that makes sense. In terms of Kyle Duggar, look, you know, I, I think Duggar, he was 
one of a, a few draft picks recently that the Patriots have selected near the top of the draft that have actually panned out and turned into pretty good football players. And, and that's been a big problem for the Patriots and why they're in the spot that they're in is that they haven't drafted well. And I think his uh, draft pick, you would say, was a success. It, it was a hit of a pick. But that being said, uh, he is a little bit of a boomer bust player. Around mm-hmm. here, we, we compare him to guys like, you know, uh, Jamie Collins, where there's like a lot of flash to his game. Uh, he's a very physical player, very versatile player, can play at all three levels of the defense, can play in the slot, can play deep safety, can play in the box, can cover tight ends. One of the more versatile players defensively in the NFL, and he's got that physicality and that size to be able to hold up in the box and uh, set the edge and uh, be able to play the run like almost like a, another linebacker uh, with speed like a safety. Uh, but he is a little bit inconsistent in coverage. He will give up plays. He will get lost in zone. Uh, he's not the, a shutdown player against tight ends. He can hold his own, but he's not – a guy that's going to completely erase an opponent's tight end. Uh, so there are some boomer bust you know, elements to his game. Like you guys saw it last year when Dalton Kincaid hit that big play on him in that game in Buffalo. So that, that does happen uh, at times with Kyle Duggar, but uh, he, he's around the football a lot. He makes plays on the ball. Uh, he does turn it over a decent amount and he can run with the football too uh, on returns and things like that. So uh, there's a lot to like about Kyle Duggar's game, uh, but for every two plays he makes, he will give one up. All right, Evan Lazar. Evan, like you and I are very similar in our our baseball rooting against interest because you're a Yankee. You're you're a Red Sox guy. I'm a Yankees guy. I'm assuming you're a Red Sox guy, right? Because you're in Boston. I'm a Yankees guy. We're watching what the AL East is doing. Pitchers and catchers report tomorrow, and I keep thinking, I don't know how you're going to beat the Orioles this year. I don't know how you're going to beat the Blue Jays this year. I know the Yankees are favored, not the Red Sox, though. It's been not a very good offseason. It has not been a good offseason, and I'll tell you what, as, as much fire as the Patriots are under for their season last year, there is no owner that is on a hotter seat in this town Ooh. right now than John Henry. John Henry, really? well, they've cut spending. I mean, they're they're yeah. middle of the pack now in spending. They don't spend like they used to on the team. Uh, they have all these different, you know, the Fenway Sports Group pro- portfolio. It's the Penguins. It's Liverpool. It's like all these different entities that they own now. And uh, they, they don't care about the Red Sox anymore. They, they've completely given up oh. on trying to make them a big market club. And I, I can tell you right now, if this goes on for much longer, then I, I don't know how much longer they're going to own the team. Well, you know what? We usually call you to talk about football. Maybe we'll call and talk about baseball sometime this offseason as well. <laughs> Evan, uh, as somebody that yeah, I love it. I, I can tell. I I love it, man. And yeah, same boat here. Look, I know I'm looking at the odds. The Yankees are favored. I'm like, I don't know how. I'm looking at the moves the other teams are making in the AL East. But it is, and it is sad. Even as a Yankees fan, I mean, you know this. The baseball's better when you get a really great Yankees Red Sox rivalry, and they're both good and going at it. And that's just not happening right now. No, it's not going to happen until they have new ownership in Boston. I just, they they don't want to spend on the team anymore. Uh, They they don't go after players anymore like they they won their world series they ended the curse and uh, now they they have their eyes on different things you know maybe theo epstein's back involved now he's not involved in the day-to-day but he's involved in the ownership group so there is some hope that maybe he can get through to john henry and tom warner and and get them to start to care about the red sox again but um, i'm not holding my breath evan thank you very much enjoy the rest of your week we'll catch up down the road good stuff today really appreciate it man anytime guys all right, you got it. That is Evan Lazar. And um, by the way, I get EZ Lazar on Twitter. 
He's very good. Let me just go back to his Twitter account and tell you where you can find his work. Because he does a really good job. And in case you don't know, not only does Evan cover the Patriots at Patriots.com, does really good stuff on the All-22 uh, stuff that he has. It's Patriots Catch 22 at Patriots.com and um, Easy Lazar on Twitter or X. Yeah, pitchers and catchers reporting mostly this week, tomorrow. Uh, really interesting, you know, what he just said about the Red Sox. I had no idea. And I didn't realize Theo Epstein was back with, uh, let me, what is his role? Let's see, Theo Epstein. Uh, he's involved with the Red Sox in some way. I did not realize that. Yeah, he was, he built the Red Sox in their World Series, and he built the Cubs in their World Series. So good for them. In the meantime, bold takes for the Bills. Bills offseason bold takes. I give you mine. I'll reset. We'll take calls. 803-0550. Still got a couple segments left to get your calls in. Got open phone lines right now on the Buffalo Bills offseason. And your bold takes. What do you think something is they're going to do that, yeah, might be a bit of a uh, a bold take to call your shot out there. Do it today on the Extra Point Show. Come on, how can you not get jacked up when you hear this song, right? It's baseball season. Tomorrow. Pitchers and catchers report tomorrow. Can you believe that? For the Dodgers and the Padres, they've already reported. Because they play a couple of games in Seoul, South Korea, March 20th and 21st. And then, if I'm reading this correctly, they come back to the States and play more spring training games before opening their regular season at home or in the Dodgers case. I don't know where the Padres do. So basically, they have two games in Seoul, South Korea. Real games. They count in the standings. And then they come back and play spring training games, and then they get back into the regular season. So, and as Josh was saying, which is right, it's, it's it works better than sending them over there during the season, and you have this whole break where they have to kind of be off in a day here, you know, probably some days surrounding it, which they've done, and teams and the leagues have done. But the NHL does this, right, Josh? The NHL sends teams over to start the season, and then they come back. Yeah, they did that this year with Ottawa and somebody. I can't remember who they played overseas, but mm-hmm. they were there for, I don't know, maybe like two or three games, if that. And then Ottawa had like a week off when they came back because of, you know, the time change and everything like that. They want their players to, you know, be ready to go. And that's why Ottawa has so many games. Like, they're, they've made up ground now, but they had so many less games yep. played than the rest of the NHL because of that. So, in a way, it's kind of an advantage the way the NHL does it, at least. But, like, with baseball, you have so many baseball games. You literally have one every single day except for, like, one day out of the week. So you can't say, oh, we're going to give you a week off. Because then it's like, well, then you're just going to play double headers like, right. all year long. Yep. But, by the way, my big, bold idea for MLB, and they would never do this because it's all about money, of course, but I just think that a Major League Baseball season is too long on the back end. Maybe even on the front end. Like, you, you play these games – in early April, now late March, in these cold weather cities, I remember one year Andy Pettit's on the mound for the Yankees opening day, and there's it's snowing everywhere. Uh, we've had games cancel because of that, you know, early in the season, and then you get late, and if these teams make it that are in cold weather cities, you know, uh, in October, it's just yeah, that's not baseball. Come on, baseball should be played in warmer weather. So how do you reduce the season? How do you reduce? You can still play 182 games. Just give me more doubleheaders on the weekends. But they won't do that because of money. Now, you could do day-night doubleheaders, but just make every other Saturday give me a doubleheader, a regular doubleheader. How many Saturdays is that? How many less days? That's two weeks of the season you could shave off. I mean, give me every Saturday, one or Sunday. 
Give me every Saturday or Sunday, one or the other is a doubleheader, and you're shaving off like a whole month of the actual season, and you don't have to worry about the cold weather. That's I'm the commissioner. That's what I'm doing. All right? That's my big idea that I'm doing in Major League Baseball. They won't do that, though, and I get why. I just don't like it because I just hate the fact that you're playing these games. Baseball's good. I love baseball, but, you know, playing in cold weather, just it's not, not that's not baseball. So they don't play in cold weather in spring training, obviously. They play in Florida and in Arizona. And in the Cactus League in Arizona, the Grapefruit League in Florida, pitchers and catchers are reporting starting tomorrow. Like I said, other than the Dodgers and Padres are already there. Pretty amazing. It's already it's Valentine's Day, and you got that happening. And I'm looking at these Major League Baseball odds. I, I, I guess because they're the Yankees... I, Folks, I'm a Yankees fan. I watch, I, I, I've rooted for the Yankees my whole life. They should not be the third highest favorite to win the World Series. From me looking at, A, their own roster, which is still kind of aging. And yes, I know they made some changes. And Juan Soto, it's great. Love that. But their own roster. But what, look, did you see what Baltimore is doing and who they are? I mean, even Toronto is still good. Tampa is still good. The Red Sox, we just talked to them in Lazar. I mean, that's just wild how bad they're, they are. They're going to be for a while, it seems like. The Yankees should not be third or fourth team on the list. They're the number one team. I'm, I'm looking at odds to win. Where is this? ESPN bet. Now, there's different sites you can go to. They have the Yankees as the number one team in the AL to win the World Series. I mean, no. I, I don't think so. Maybe I'm just reading it wrong. And... But look at the, here we go. Okay, so they're tied with the Astros at a few places. Astros a slight favorite over them in a few places. Then you have the Orioles right there with them, which I agree with. Uh, the Orioles at least being high. Yeah. So that's the odds to win the World Series. And then where's where's the, let me give the AL East odds. That was what was wild to me. I'm looking at AL East odds. I mean, you can get the Yankees at plus 135. Plus 165 is like the worst odds worst odd you can get, but still better than the Orioles, which is plus 200 plus everywhere. Then Blue Jays, Rays, Red Sox. Eh, I'll watch it. I'm excited now to see that. Like, maybe the Yankees will be better than I thought. Yeah, probably not. Do you see the what Blue about, Jays what new are changes? getting, yeah. the well, Blue Jays ahead, are getting a City Connect jerseys? What are they going to have? What is it going to look like? I don't know. The MLB posted about it that they're going to get them, but they haven't like given any hints or anything like that. It just says that mm. there's nine teams that are getting them this year. The Cleveland Guardians, the Detroit Tigers, L.A. Dodgers, Minnesota Twins, New York Mets, Philadelphia Phillies, St. Louis Cardinals, Tampa Bay Rays, and Toronto Blue Jays. It's quite a lot. Yeah. but I don't think the Yankees will ever get them. I don't think they wear those, do they? I I was thinking about that, but I don't think they will because of the whole, like, you know, the Yankee way kind of sort of thing. Of, yes, like, right. Know, the pinstripes are no, so traditional. Yeah, and then no beards and all that stuff, too. Like, I just, it doesn't feel like a Yankee thing. And I don't, I, I think that's kind of okay, but at the same time, I wonder, I wonder what it would look like. Like, you know, but at the same time, like, what are you going to do with it? Because the Yankees have always had mm-hmm. the same uniforms. They've, they, they're really the only, the only way they've ever deviated is the gray. But, like, I don't know. I just don't think that there's really it, that much to yes. work with. So City Connect is basically something else that's a part of the city that they connect with. It's not just right. the baseball team, right? Right. So the Red Sox, that's why they're literally yellow and blue, I guess. Like a 
<coughs> kind of like a Chargers, like mm-hmm. a baby blue, but a more bright yellow. And that's to represent the Boston Marathon. And the finish line at the Boston Marathon is the same color. So you see that. But it doesn't have to be different colors. The White Sox have their Southside jerseys. That's their City Connect. And it looks like the White Sox jersey, but it's all you know black with the white pinstripes. And it says Southside on it. Um, there are different colors for different teams, but not all of them. So you don't have to change the colors. The Red Sox did dramatically. You don't have to change the colors. I guess you could do maybe like like thinking off of the uh, the White Sox, you could do like the Bronx and like do like a reverse mm-hmm. pinstripe with like blue with white pinstripes. But I don't know. how. Yeah, that, that might look. And weird. they do they do have like a spring training jersey like that. By the way, they wear they, oh. that's what yeah they have a spring training jersey they wear that's very similar to that. Um, so yeah, they could kind of go with something like that. Interesting. Well, anyway, I'm excited for baseball, you know, starting because it's kind of the representation of getting a little bit of warmer weather and getting out of. Oh, you know, the football and over the Super Bowl. And I'm more this year than because I'm just don't want to think about the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl again. But at the same time, there's a lot of football stuff happening. Bill's news. We got the combine coming up in a couple of weeks. That's when a lot of the league business starts rolling. You get agents there. You get head coaches and GMs, people talking. You start talking about money, free agents. Last year at the combine was when we basically, well, two things happened. Number one. That's when we learned that Leslie Frazier was not coming back. Number two, that's when we started to hear that Tremaine Edmonds was going to get paid by somebody. So I'm guessing this year the same kind of thing will be happening. You know, that you hear those kind of rumors or whatever. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking combine this year is when we're going to start to hear teams that are going to be in on Gabe Davis and where his market might land. That might be. Let's, um, let's go out to Brad in Rochester. Brad wants to chime in. What's up, Brad? Hey, Sal. I know you're talking baseball, and you guys don't usually that often, so I had to chime in. I know I you're a big Yankee fan. Yeah. I, I, grew up, I grew up in Rochester, so I, I've been an O's fan my yeah. whole life. And, man, they had, some, they had some lot of down years when Angelos had the team. But um, going into last season, the Orioles were hot going into last season, the season prior. And I was like, man, if they can keep this going, and I'm, I'm not big on whatever you do in one season carries over to the next in any sport. I think that's, that's ridiculous. But – they started out hot last year. They stayed hot, and they were really, really good, and they got such a young roster. Man, you're right. They did it yep. the right way, the farm club, all that. They got rid of Angelos. He's gone, finally. Ripken took over with these guys to, to own the team. I'm thinking now maybe Baltimore will actually hang on to players and start paying them because they weren't paying them. But the fact that they had the Yankees, the odds, like higher than the Orioles going into the season, especially after the Yosu side that pitcher Burns from Milwaukee, and I think the Orioles are the division's the, the, the yeah. division is cannibalism. They're so good. All those teams are so good in that division. But I don't know how they got the Yankees ahead of the Orioles coming into this season. Not this year, man. Not this Me year. Me neither. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm looking at this team, and I'm like, how are? How can you look at that roster, what they did last year, who they are, where they are, they're young players. I mean, yeah, Burns coming over there. I, I'm with you. I'm a Yankee fan. They shouldn't be favored to win the East. The Orioles should be favored to win the East. I love it. A little baseball talk going on here. But we still have a little football talk as well. We'll do that when we wrap up, when we come back here on the Extra Point Show on WGR. All right, so the theme of today, question of the day, took some calls earlier, Bill's bold takes for the offseason. I gave mine yesterday on a podcast with John Scott of Spectrum News, also with Matt Perino of Syracuse.com and Joe Biscali of The Athletic. We were all on it. You can check it out. And I'm not going to spoil theirs. They had theirs. I will spoil mine because I'll tell you about it. I did say my bold take is the Bills will actually move up higher than they normally do 
like a couple spots last couple of years to grab a wide receiver. Now, free agency is going to change a lot of this probably, right? If they go out and get a couple free agents and wide couple free agent wide receivers nobody expected, I, yeah, I know they don't have the money, but you know, you get all that. Uh, then that would change my opinion on them actually being able to do this or wanting to do it. I remember 2019 thinking, okay, receiver, receiver, receiver. Then they dra- Then they sign John Brown and Cole Beasley, and you're like, okay, they're not doing receiver now, and they didn't. Um, but I do think that this might be the year. They have. They will have 10 picks. Brandon Bean can move around the board, and he loves to trade up if he can. They'll have 10 picks. Not all 10 guys are making the roster. As much as they have to reset the roster a little bit here and there, you're still getting 10 guys. If you draft 10 guys, like three or four at least are probably going to have to be waived and you might lose them. So why use those picks? If you can use them to move up a little bit, you can use them as capital. I think they might do that. And I think the last few years there's been players they like on the board who've kind of fallen a little bit but not quite far enough, and they didn't jump when they had the chance. So if he looks at that and says, you know what, I'm not going to let that happen anymore. I need to do this. And they have to replenish the wide receiver room. Now, you could stay where you are and still get a fine wide receiver. You can get a couple of them in the draft. That's fine, too. You can move down. I always love moving down. Strategically, I think moving down is always the best case for any team. But my bold pick, my bold prediction right now, as I sit here, very subject to change, by the way, is that Brandon Bean and the Bills move up a little bit in round one to target a wide receiver. So I'll roll with that. I posted a video at Sal Sports on this very quickly and asked for your replies. So go check that out at Cell Sports on Twitter slash X. In the meantime, Sabres live up next. Sabres tonight, 7 o'clock, 6 o'clock pregame here on WGR. One Bills live after that. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. I'll be off the rest of the week. Enjoy the Extra Point Show without me, and I'll be back on Monday. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.